0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The good news today is is that nothing can stop God, God's King, Jesus, and God's kingdom from coming, growing, and being fulfilled on this earth. Today's gospel, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. He's using ways to illustrate how it works and different aspects about it. In Jesus' most important sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all the other things will be added to your life after that. So, if we were to give a test today that said... Please write out the definition of the Kingdom of God. What do you think that would be like? Do we know what the Kingdom of God is? That, use, that language is used over and over again by Jesus, but if we had a test today, how do you think you'd do? Well, 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock felt the same way. They really had no desire to take a test on the Kingdom of God. So I'll just help with a brief definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingship, the rulership of God himself, the saving and loving rulership of God himself over his creation and his creatures. That's basically what it is. And so the kingdom of God is the saving, loving relationship that God has with his creation and his creatures. Now, the rule in the reign of God was broken by human will. That loving rulership, that reign, that presence of God in his creation in the hearts of people is broken by human will. That's the story of the garden. The kingdom of God was there. Everything was in order. There was communion, there was participation in God, there was joy, everything was in order and was right, but human will pulled away from God, sought a life apart from God, and then the Christian story is is that death and chaos and the demonic began to reign over God's good creation. What was good and in order, what was under the rulership of God was no longer under the rulership of God, and it was human will that broke that rulership or that kingdom. And so, rather than be under the rulership of God, we became under the rulership of powers beyond our control, and ultimately, finally, sin and death. That became the rulers of human life. So, God seeks to restore his good reign in his good earth and his kingship over creation, but he has to do it in a certain way. He chooses to do it in a certain way. He chooses to come and restore his rulership and his kingship through love. If God wanted to do something different, he could just wipe everything out and start all over because who could oppose God? But God, because God is loving, He comes back to us and calls us into relationship with Himself, and that relationship is a relationship of love. And anybody who's raised children knows how long it takes children to grow up. And God has the same problem. He's trying to get us to grow up And to grow into returning his great love for us. And for us to come back underneath his rulership. Come into his kingship. And that's why this whole process is taking so long. So if we ask, why is this taking so long? It's because God is treating us in love and not in some other way. Well, because God chooses to restore his kingship on the earth... True love, he found someone named Abram and Sarai and started to work with them. And then started to work with all of their descendants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And finally, the children of Israel. He began to work with them to restore his rule and his reign. They did well. They sort of had ups and downs uh, in their time, as we know if we are students of the Old Testament. But finally, he sent his king, Jesus to this earth and Jesus is teaching his disciples and others about the nature of God's kingdom and the nature of God's rulership and reign in the world. Today, he mentions that the kingdom is very much like a seed that grows mysteriously. No one knows how it works. It just works because God wants it to work. There's life in that seed and it's simply a mysterious, unstoppable process that seeds actually grow. And that's how the kingdom works. And so God's king, Jesus, and his kingdom is growing and it's unstoppable because God wants it to be that way. Well, the irony of King Jesus, who is the son of David. We heard in our passage from 1 Samuel how all of David's brothers were passed by, but David was the Lord's anointed, and he was the king. And in the line of David, finally Jesus comes. But when Jesus, who is God's king, came, his own leadership rejected him. And the irony of Scripture is that the chief priests of the children of Israel, who knew God was their king said this, we have no king except Caesar. Isn't that amazing? What an irony. The people of God, the children of God, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who knows that Yahweh is the king, they are now saying that, nope. God's not our king. Caesar is our only king. A great irony. We have no king but Caesar. So the king, Jesus, is crucified. He dies. He's buried. It's as if God plants the king into the very earth that he is trying to save. And Jesus sprouts up. The life of God is. The life of God and human life together in King Jesus is now loose in the world. There is a new creation. And there is no stopping God and King Jesus in this new life of the new creation. It is running loose, and so Jesus is raised to the right hand of God. He has given all authority and all rulership of everything on earth and heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of God. That is symbolic language for the place of power and authority. And that's what we Christians believe. We believe that right now that Jesus is in fact the king of both the earth and heaven. In fact, God's reign and kingship in Jesus is present now. It is uh, at hand. It is right here with us. And the kingship of God and His kingdom is something that we can enter into and experience in some way here and now. That's what all all Christians believe. That's what we believe. Well, let's go one step further and finish out this kingdom business. God's kingdom has a fulfillment point. Jesus mentioned that when there is the ripeness of the fruit of all of these plants that come up the sickle comes and there's the harvest there will come a time when there is the harvest for God and in the language of Paul in our uh, epistle today it says that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will receive back what was done, whether it's good or bad, in the body in this present life? There is the resurrection from the dead, the judgment, and the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth, and God's life and love reigns completely, and His kingdom is finally fulfilled. Right now, we live in the time where there are wheat and tares. Do you remember Jesus talking about the wheat and the tares? There's wheat. And there are tares growing up at the same time, but God will sort all that out in the harvest. But the most important thing is, is not to be fearful of this judgment, although we should pay attention to it, but that's another sermon. The point is, is that God's rule and reign is life and joy and peace and goodness It is the most positive way of being under anyone's rulership that there can possibly be. And so, since God's kingdom and God's king is unstoppable, we're called to participate in it, to be in it, to follow in, and begin to experience the goodness of the reign of God, the goodness of God's kingdom here and now. But we have to have faith and trust in all of this being a reality for it to even work. We probably live our daily life in a way that we're not really thinking much about the kingdom of God, right? We're probably not thinking about that God is present with us. We're probably not thinking that Jesus is in fact the king of this entire world, heaven and earth. He is the cosmic ruler of everything right now as we speak. We probably don't have those thoughts, but Paul tells us that we have to live by faith, not by sight. If we live only by sight, we'll just deal with what's right in front of us, and we won't be a part of God's larger story, or at least we won't have an experience of it here and now. And so we have to live by faith and not just by sight. If we live by faith, we know that God's kingdom is present, that it's going somewhere, and that it has a good conclusion, and we are going to be a part of it. But if we have faith, and we live by faith and not sight, we can have confidence here and now in our lives. Paul says we can have confidence. Even though he knew that his body was wasting away, he knew that he was probably not too far away from being captured, which finally happened, and killed. His confidence was not in the exact things that were going on around him, but his confidence was in God who was unstoppable, his kingdom who is unstoppable, his King Christ who is unstoppable, and that God's fulfillment in history would go on, and he would be a part of that. That's where his faith and confidence were. So that's what he saw in addition to seeing what we normally do in life. So the good news is is that whatever is going on in our life doesn't have the ultimate say in life. God does, and his kingdom does. And that is really good news. There's many things that we experience in life that we hear about that cause us anxiety. But the good news is, is that Global warming cannot stop God and His King and His Kingdom, whether you believe in it or not. That's supposed to be a joke, so that's okay. Uh, Nuclear war cannot stop God and His King Jesus and the Kingdom. An economic collapse cannot stop God and His King and His Kingdom. The Kardashians cannot stop God and His King and His Kingdom. The media can't do it, cancer can't do it. There is nothing that can stop God, His King Jesus, and the Kingdom from being fulfilled. That is really good news because we are children of the King. We're on the right side. We're with God. We will be a part of this. But in order to experience it here and now in a deeper, more profound way, we have to live by faith and not only by sight. And if we are able to do that, we, in fact, can have confidence, more confidence, and more peace than we have right now. We are called in this time period to three things. We're called to patience as we wait and wait and wait sometimes it seems like we've been waiting a long time but we're called to patience because only god knows when the harvest will come only god knows when that complete fulfillment of god's kingdom where there is no death no more tears no more pain no more sighing the old things have passed away only god knows when that end will come so until we enter that we are called to patience. But knowing that God is not somehow just messing around with us, there we trust is very good reasons for God's timing. We're called also to have hope, to not be in despair, but to have hope because we have trust and confidence in God. And then finally, we are called to be ready. We're called to be ready. Don't mess around with the judgment seat of Christ, that judgment seat which we will all appear. uh, We don't want to mess around with that. We want to make sure that we have confessed anything that we need to confess, that we've turned away from anything we need to turn away from, that we've forgiven anybody that we need to forgive. We want to be ready for that day. Well, I want to finish with a prayer that sort of summarizes many of the things we've talked about today. It's the long form of the serenity prayer. Some people know the serenity prayer. There's a longer form that Reinhold Niebuhr in the 1940s wrote. And I want to uh, speak it to you and you can think about it and, and pray it as I speak it. God... Give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, Trusting that you, God, will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.